Hello, everybody. This is Bizarre Podcast Dogs Must Die, recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Jonathan Joe Star Memorial Studio. My name is Grant. You are about to hear Chip, and we have one more voice here uh, with us today. Please introduce yourself as you would like to be introduced. Hey, I am Dan. I am one of the hosts of the Breaking Mayberry podcast, uh, a show where we scream at black and white TV from the 60s. It's like the the two old guys on the balcony from the Muppets, but with the Andy Griffith show. Yeah, imagine if Fozzie had a gun. That's basically your <laughs> <Yes>. show. <laughs> yeah, imagine imagine if the Muppets show is what drove all the baby boomers insane, and that's pretty much us. Uh, yeah, and also uh, I am the creator of the Jeff Pandemic. Uh, a soon-to-be-launched audio drama about a virus that gave everybody the same memories. End of things about me? That pretty much sums up my entire (laughs) existence, unfortunately. Well, uh, what we usually do here is talk about uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure episodes, three anime uh, uh, episodes at a time. But since we just finished part one of Phantom Blood... Uh, I thought we could, as we said in the previous episode, <laughs> talk about that part as a whole. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Dan, why don't you tell us your experience with JoJo and and why you wanted to uh, join us for this so badly? Uh, I had so I was sort of coming back to anime. Um, mm-hmm. I had like a long dormant period where I hadn't watched any of it, and my coworker got me watching Baki and Megalobox and stuff like that. So I was kind of going through like the dudes fighting and having strong relationships <laughs> genre. And my coworker, uh, who was kind of going on that journey with me, begged me for like a prolonged period of time to uh, to watch JoJo. He was like, I will give you any amount of money under the sun <laughs> to uh, to watch this. Uh, with the caveat of like, just you're gonna have to get through Phantom Blood, and then you're going to like it. Like it's it's pretty normal up until that point. But really, I was on board from the exact moment that a character introduced themselves as Robert E.O. Speedwagon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was I heard that uh, the person's line paused and barely did not faint. Uh, <laughs> and from that exact moment, I just handcuffed myself to the roller coaster and was like, I'll follow this show into hell. As long as he, as long as Robert EO Speedwagon says his name at least seven <laughs> more times, I am here for whatever happens. I too am dedicated to Robert EO Speedwagon. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something about him, right? <laughs> he has a charm. He, he has a, he's a real, uh, a charm. Yeah. It, it's really a huge part of it is the way the voice actor says the name. Like, he's not just like, hey, I'm Robert E.O. Speedwagon. It's like, I'm Robert E.O. Speedwagon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- that's that's my name. I'm, I did not stutter. And <laughs> up until that point, I had not picked up on any of, like, the illusions. Like, I didn't realize that Dio was, uh, was Rob- uh, Ronnie James Dio. And uh, then that exact moment, I was like, oh, my God, this is a whole thing. Right, right, because that that could just be you know Latin until Straitso uh, shows up. Dyer's just a guy named Dyer. Yeah. yeah, I I had I like went through the Wikipedia page and I realized that every character is like every character's name is a homage to something, but some of them are so like vague and poorly thought out that it just <laughs> seems like every seventeenth character's name is something. 
Because it'll be like, oh, well, if you, it's, this character's uh, name is like uh, a vague homage to a uh, line and come sail away. And also this is Tom Petty introducing, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so, the inconsistency makes it so much better. Yeah. Now I've like just burned the whole thing. And uh, the theme song to Golden Wind has been consistently stuck in my head for six months. That'll happen. Yeah, I've just been humming Fighting Gold on and off for the I think probably the rest of my life. One point I wanted to to bring up to start our discussion is uh is the appeal of JoJo's that it is its own abridged series. Yeah, that like each <laughs> thing is that, that like each thing is self-contained. <laughs> that that it's all killer, no filler. Everybody yeah. is just their their uh, of one personality trait, and yep. you just hit the highlights. There is that is definitely the feel of part one, uh, and I never really thought of it as an abridged <laughs> series. But yeah, later parts, just by virtue of just being a lot longer you know yeah lose that feeling but i it, you you still kind of get the thing with the characters at least of everyone is kind of like one or two things <laughs> and not in a way where it's just like oh i'm so sick of seeing these characters but it's just like oh yeah that guy he's all about that one thing <laughs> yeah. and it's a lot of fun throughout the whole thing but it's that one thing could summarize most of jojo's bizarre adventure from a moving car like i could yell the plot of phantom blood at you while driving past you at 50 miles an hour but somehow mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. still like there's still an insane amount of depth to it uh, one, one other comparison very quickly, uh, just because I saw it on Twitter yesterday in, in like, it just as a joke, but uh, the first five or six parts of JoJo, if you sum them up very quickly, all line up with a Castlevania game. Yeah. And like in the order they were released as well, like... <laughs> <laughs> they definitely lean so hard on that in Phantom Blood, where it's like, it's repeatedly like, it's like Castlevania, but but also, no, please don't sue us. Like, we there's Hamon's. This is legally distinct. They don't have Hamon in that, huh? They don't have Hamon in anything. I'm not sure they have Hamon in JoJo. <laughs> I'm still not sure what Hamon is. I, that's kind of the great thing is, they do like 17 PowerPoint presentations on what Hamon is, and then... I still don't un- totally understand it because then like, oh, also it can do this. Like, it's like sunlight energy that you can charge things with sunlight. Also, it can heal broken bones and let you punch through a frog, but like sunlight energy. And punch through some walls, but not others. <laughs> yes. Like, That's, yeah. It's the thing that vampires hate, but also what they eat. <laughs> yeah. They just, vampires die if they get too full. They have to watch how much they eat. <laughs> um, Calorie counting vampires. Yeah. Ha- one of the big things of part one for me is that hormone stuff. And I didn't really realize it until doing rewatching it again for this podcast. It's been so long since I've watched it. And also because I've seen it like two times previously. At this point in my life, I had just like accepted that hormone is just fucking whatever but <laughs> the way i came to understand it when we started watching it again was just like no i understand what hormone is it's wait uh-oh <laughs> i don't understand hormone that much it's uh it's like electricity and also dragon ball z energy but also sunlight yeah and also vibrations I think at the core, there there could be something good from Hamon if it's just like, hey, here is our life energy that we can, like, 
project like electricity to melt vampires but mm-hmm. our power only works if we're brave you know if we're <laughs> courageous and if that was it <laughs> <laughs> no like uh, uh th- this brings me to, to another point I-, I wanted to uh take note of is that i i think part of the identity of part one uh, especially the the middle bits the the wind knight's lot portion mm-hmm. uh is the there, there is a tension between wanting to inject new bizarre ideas and wanting to have a strategic struggle mm-hmm. and that is not always well negotiated and, and i mm-hmm. think the the sort of grab bag of what hamon is at any given moment is the the clearest like symptom of that uh, I pitched it to a friend as, uh, it's like if you fused Wuthering Heights and Dragon Ball Z, but you put them in the machine from the fly. So it's not like a clean, uh, fusion. It's like, uh, Dragon Ball Z's face is like jutting out of Wuthering Heights' chest. Like, Wada. I think that's what happened to the crazy wife in the attic, actually. <laughs> yeah. that, that just is Wuthering Heights. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, Heathcliff had a power level of 9,000. That is, I thought that was a weird inclusion, but... Wait, no, I'm thinking of Jane Eyre. Never mind, I'm turning in my gamer card. I was thinking of Jane Eyre. (laughs) Yeah, there's like, especially in those fights kind of in the middle of part one, kind of this, this energy of like playground fights where somebody says well i'm gonna do this and then they say nah i've got armor against that (laughs) yes yes. uh and that still exists throughout basically all of jojo but in a way where it feels more integrated because of things that happen later on beyond part two but yeah it doesn't quite work in part one most of the time (laughs) the time like like phantom blood is basically like the training level for the rest of jojo's bizarre adventure like they're easing you into it and they're introducing you to like all the mechanics which is like basically like 15 times in any given fight a character is going to be like oh i meant for you to cut my arm off with a sword that was all part of my strategy and then uh another character will be like i meant for you to do that uh, like, you shooting me with your lasers was all part of my plan. Uh, and then it just goes back and forth. They do, like, bite-sized versions of that throughout, uh, the, uh, throughout the first, uh, throughout Phantom Blood, and then they extend, they just keep escalating that through the rest of the show. Like, they jump it up a level for battle tendency. Very rarely from this point on are fights ever just about who punched the other person the hardest. A lot of the characters in JoJo are the smartest dumbasses in the world <laughs> because so much of the fights are based around um, like very quick observation that you're getting delivered in like three minute monologues in their head. But really, all of those thoughts rocketed through their brain in the quarter second it took for them to fly 40 feet backwards when they got punched. Tactical geniuses in JoJo, actually. One moment I loved from the last episode that I sort of realized carries over to the rest of the show is uh, when Jojo manages to block the uh, the gears of the boat they're on. Dio recites in perfect <laughs> confidence and accuracy exactly how a boat's engine works. He's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, God, that's the drive shaft that pumps oil into this component. And then it does that to the furnace. And it's like, Dio, how, when did you learn all everything about boat engines but that's, that's like, when he was at law school there, there's a <laughs> yeah 
maritime law includes engine uh, engineering. Specializes in boating accidents. <laughs> imagine, imagine a world where there was no stone mask and uh, uh, Dio grows up to be an ambulance chaser, but specifically ocean ambulances. <laughs> He just like <laughs> hovers around uh, around the coastline of England, and whenever someone's boat sinks, be like, "I'm that's definitely you were sold a faulty fuel pump. I can sue the shit out of your boat salesman." Yeah, he's, he's trying to find people marooned in the South Pacific. Like, okay, first you're gonna need a sandwich. Second, you need representation. All right, my name is Dio Brando. I'm imagining he would still carry the same flair that he would have had as a vampire into this work. You thought it was the Coast Guard, but it was I, Dio. <laughs> Did your boat explode off of the off the Ireland coast? You may be able to sue for damages. Contact me, <laughs> Dio, a living god. <laughs> every character is simultaneously dumb as shit, but also an expert on every single minute detail of everything happening around them. Because, yeah, that plan only works if Jonathan has the exact same <laughs> yeah. knowledge of steamships. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was like the equivalent, it was like just fundamental knowledge in 1800s England of like, all right, first you're going to learn how to black ride a bike, and then you're going to learn how to disassemble a boat with a blindfold on. <laughs> and now you are a man. This was your rite of passage. I'm just waiting for a later part, like a, a, a theoretical later part in JoJo where uh, the equivalent happens in contemporary times, and it's just JoJo like... Sticking a banana in somebody's car's tailpipe. <laughs> <laughs> that is an extremely uh, Joseph Joestar move. Somebody uses Hamon to manipulate the uh, Bitcoin blockchain <laughs> uh, <laughs> in order to make someone's head explode. <laughs> Hell yeah. Little do you know, Dio, I jailbroke my iPhone three months ago. <laughs> this gives me a strategic edge. <laughs> Oh man, I want to see that as a real fight now. I've been whipping up a Reddit uh, Reddit forum into a fever about this for six months, and now they've arrived. Dio, I have turned you into Twitter's main character of the day. <laughs> Dio, just, just just let Danny eat the beans, Dio. <laughs> Aha! It was my plan all along to get ratioed. <laughs> By letting you ratio me, now I've become a figure in a counterculture subreddit that you didn't even know about. <laughs> so the Sonic the Hedgehog stands will be all over you for this. You're finished, Jojo. <laughs> I, I think we're all sort of get, getting to the point that, yes, Dio is Dio is the real, like, draw to yeah. to Phantom Blood like mm -hmm. uh, uh he's he's the most dynamic character the first episode is really all about Dio showing and telling everything about him <laughs> in life <laughs> like when Dio is not on the screen i'm asking where's Dio <laughs> yeah Dio is like still a, a very iconic part of JoJo like he he was just that good yeah, someone said that, like, Dio is, like, one of the best anime villains ever, and I 100% agree, but, like, rewatching the show, I don't totally understand why, because he's just, <laughs> like, a brick of solid evil. Like, mm -hmm, he doesn't mm -hmm. have any, like, complex motivations or, like, particularly nuanced plans. He's just like, I'm, a, I'm evil to my core, and I know it, and I completely agree with it, and as a result, I'm going to do just straight 
evil, just like just shotgun evil directly into every situation. Like somehow it distinguishes him from every other villain because there's just like they don't like there's just no attempt at deeper pathos. It's just like he hates everybody. He hates everything. And he's going to be a dick to everyone around him as much as physically possible. I, don't, I, I think there is a, a dynamic nature to Dio. He has more guile than anyone else in the world, which is not saying much in this world, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> but it's still the most guile. But but the, the way he uh, his goals change and his uh, um, ambition grows throughout uh, the parts of Phantom Blood. And the interesting part about it is because it's all driven by Jonathan, the, the moves and counter moves between them aren't just in their fights, but in their whole lives across these nine short episodes. <laughs> Were it not for the heirloom stone mask on the wall, they, they could have just been people who hated each other. Maybe one would eventually have, you know, killed one another in an alley in London. And that that would have been the end of it over the Joe Star fortune. But because Jonathan stopped Dio from that, he went for supernatural power and world domination eventually and if it weren't for dio becoming a vampire jojo would not have become a hamon master <laughs> and of eventually this uh, uh christ-like sacrificial figure inarguably christ-like <laughs> definitively Arg argue i would argue kind of gives christ a run for his money a little bit <laughs> christ should watch his fucking back does Christ know Hamon? I bet not. <laughs> I bet not. Can Hamon, like, you know, do the things Jesus does? I bet it probably could. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's Hamon some fish. See how many they are afterward. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. We cure a blind man with Hamon. Like, we've cured a lot of things with Hamon. We've yeah. cured beheading with Hamon. <laughs> yeah. Baron Zeppeli has one hundred percent turned water into wine before, so check that one off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Excuse me, he turned it into vino. Thank you very much. <laughs> he, yeah, he turned water to wine and he was like, oh, white wine? What is this rat piss? And then just threw it away. <laughs> but but on the other hand, while Dio is interesting in his own right and more interesting as part of like this Jojo pair, Jonathan is the opposite. He's interesting <laughs> as paired with Dio, but especially toward the end for me, at least, sp speaking of my, my personal opinion, he's far less interesting alone especially post uh Zeppeli death. Yeah. Yeah. He he becomes bad take Superman. Too too powerful to to be challenged and too noble to to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. If if a character every 14 seconds did not tell me how awesome Jonathan was, I would possibly forget he was in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I I think about, you know, the super short length and quick pace of part one and sometimes i wonder what would it be like if it were you know longer but at the same time with what happens like post zeppeli with jonathan i'm almost happy that the show like goes by so quick because really you only get what three episodes of christ jonathan before he dies mm -hmm. yeah so like it, he doesn't stick around for too long in that more like uninteresting <laughs> state at least I... mm -hmm. and he, he at least gets some more you know points of interest when they leave Midnight Slot, I think episode nine is a big like redemption. And if mm. I wasn't watching them back to back, I would have felt it more at the time. Okay, but still, like I I like uh, headbutt into punches, Jonathan. Mm. I, I like take damage to save time, Jonathan. 
swim down to breathe. Exactly. That's yeah. the shit that I love. But as soon as he gets like exponential hormone overdrive, it's just like he doesn't need to do that anymore. And so the the hook is like, that's my boy. That's not my boy anymore. Yeah. I, I do kind of I appreciate the brevity of Phantom Blood a lot because uh, we he we got to the final fight with Dio and the like anime muscle memory uh, sort of kicked in and I was like I buckled up for a three hour like three hours of just these two dudes punching each other but then it was just like no superpower Jonathan just beats the crap out of him for like three minutes and then it's over and I was like oh that was kind of really refreshing I was dialed in for like a Sephiroth boss fight and it was basically just a Wendy's parking lot beatdown that was awesome. <laughs> They, they gotta take care of these swords at the Wendy's parking lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's getting out of hand. What are all these lit torches doing here? <laughs> Listen, I'm in Philly. It gets wild in parking lots out here. <laughs> I was in this city for about four minutes before I saw someone with a broadsword. And I was just like, oh, cool. This is, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll get used to this place pretty quickly. They, they kind of eventually abandoned the martial arts aspect of this, and Phantom Blood made me miss it so bad because it's like, this person did not learn how martial arts work for a minute before doing this. Like, everyone's fighting stance looks like something out of a Picasso painting. Like, <laughs> they're contorting their body parts into unbelievable things. Like, like, oh, yes, Kung Fu, where you put your knee behind your head and your fist down by your hips. Yeah, that sounds right. It it reminds me of my favorite thing about, like, uh, uh, space adventure stories, especially in, in, like, the Star Trek vein. Anytime there is an alien martial art, their stance is <laughs> the dumbest shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> Why are your arms doing that? Yeah, that, they... that also reminds me of, like, that early... It wasn't like a martial art, it was like a combat sport or something. That early Riker TNG episode with Riker and, and his, his dad. dad. Yes. Yeah, wearing the, the red samurai armor and they're fighting with like big Q-tips <laughs> from like American Gladiators or something. Wait, aren't, aren't you like blindfolded during that or something yes. too? Yeah. yeah. If, if you're doing it properly. Right, yes. That is the ideal dumb space martial art. I love that. <laughs> what was the, the Klingon sword? Or not the Klingon, sorry, the... um. Uh, like Worf sword that is like a a bow and arrow in reverse that you hold with both hands. Uh, oh, the, the Betleth. Yeah, Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm still working my way through the original, but yeah, that I think is a Hall of Fame weapon that does not make any sense. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a paper cutter that you push at people. Dyer's primary move is to put his crotch in the face of his opponent. <laughs> And then try to, like, slap them, but only with, like, but with an X motion. And everyone's like... Something we haven't seen since the Attitude Era of WWE. (laughs) Uh. It it, it seems like the thing that you would do to mock someone after you've already beaten them. Not an opening move. The opening move is jumping very slowly. (laughs) The, The crotch is the second move. To which Dio is just like, well, that's nothing. Are you sure? That, are you sure that you want it? I mean, I guess I'll kill you. Do you want a do-over? All right, you're floating gently at me with your legs <laughs> spread. 
Normally, this is a sign of submission, but... I pointed this out in the previous episode, but I just really love that Dyer can adjust the speed of his kick to match the opponent's monologue in their head. <laughs> that kicks ass. He's very accommodating, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a fighter. He's not a he's not a barbarian. He's gonna get give you some time to monologue. Uh, this is England. Where is Dyer from? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they ever say. I guess it. Do, he's from the monastery. Wherever he was from before, it doesn't matter. He yeah. has JoJo's hairstyle that indicates that people are from Germany. So I think that's it. Like. I feel like everybody with a flat top haircut in anime mm. is just automatically from some part of Eastern Europe. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're either from Eastern Europe or you're Guile. One or the other. There's no <laughs> in-between. Yeah, I looked it up real quick, and yeah, there, there's zero inf- info where Dyer is from. Oh, I, I can't believe that this uh, <laughs> pivotal character doesn't have a rich, detailed backstory. Yeah, Di- Dyer's entire Wikipedia like entry here is just... His two attacks he shows before he dies. And that's but it. But I bet Straight So has just a full dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hate Straight So. He sucks. He's the worst. I, I, I just want to say briefly, because like this is my first time going through this and like doing the English dub the whole time. Man, Straight So's voice that they got does fucking fucking does not match. <laughs> no. his look at all it's like a weird like mutant version of kevin conroy a little bit like <laughs> sort sort of sort of deep but also not yeah it's very it kind of like juts out from the rest of the voice acting speaking of of dire and straight so and all that i'm not a big fan of after zeppeli dies they bring in a whole bunch of Hamon dudes immediately afterwards i could understand one like just tom petty you know, yeah. he comes to, to, like, deliver the necessary information. You know, yeah, he, he could do everything. He could even die to Dio to really ramp up the tension. And then you have Speedwagon going one on 20 with all these zombies and finally, like, you know, flexing some muscle. Yeah, using that er- Earning his keep, yeah. yeah. Using his blade hat again, even a little bit. <laughs> That is, that is like the perfect scene for him to pull out the knife hat too, because you know you got twenty zombies, he could just pull it out, you know, have the brim pop off and throw it and have it like cut through all of them. Yeah, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it would have been like, oh man, I forgot about the blade hat. Hell yeah, that's finally paid off. But no, he's just like, ah, I got this sledgehammer. This is pretty cool. I'll just kind of wave this around and yell terrified. <laughs> uh, Grant, you asked this in the previous episode. Why is Speedwagon the one that gets to smash the mask? And my yeah. new answer is because he was the first one who picked up the sledgehammer off the ground and he called dibs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> again, it would make more sense for Tom Petty to do it to, yep. to finish his, his deceased student's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I, I loved about the uh, Tom Petty cavalry rolling in is their first introduction is like, listen, if we'd gotten here earlier, Zeppeli still would have died. All right. We <laughs> do not regret being here late, even a little bit. <laughs> OK, so let's get that out of the way. All right. So do, do you guys need help? All right. We'll, we'll, we'll fight zombies with you again. Not our fault. We could not have helped. It's not for a while still, but the the real reason why Hamon is not still the main power set of JoJo to this day. Part of it was, hey, I'm doing a black and white manga, and I keep naming all these things by different <laughs> colors. 
And wow, because Hamon is like an invisible force, it's very hard to depict what it's doing without just having people explain it. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the big reason why uh, they switch from Hamon later. But I mean, never mind wanting to, to clear the the deck from this very fits and starts, uh, <laughs> catches catch can uh, system of, of, of rules and bylaws. Yeah. I can't functionally distinguish between what the different colors of Hamon do because he's like blue Hamon overdrive, su- yellow sunshine overdrive. And they're like, those are both punches. <laughs> I mean, cool. They're both just electricity punches. Oh, this one's green. Is it going to do, is it going to like heal? Nope. It's another colored punch. That's cool. Um, but you really didn't have to distinguish between these. Truly, the only difference seems to be what color of environment he's in. The blue overdrives were because he was in water. Right, that does make sense in retrospect. (laughs) (laughs) I think all the yellow overdrives were when he he was outside? I don't know. Yeah. But still, it's functionally exactly the same. They're just punching. They get they get weird with it in the future because it's like, oh, you can use Hamon to climb up a wall like Spider-Man or like set stuff on fire. That's cool. Like they they start like flexing their muscles with this. But here they're like kind of trying to ease you into it a little bit where, mm-hmm. where they're just like, it's like sunshine electricity, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Of every part of Hamon that just gets throw, thrown, you know, just gets made up on the spot, essentially. The one bit that like really sticks throughout the the ever-shifting rule set of Hamon that I actually like is that it basically that it is just like electricity like things can conduct it so you can punch stuff Mm -hmm. through stuff Mm -hmm. now if they could establish that it's exactly just like just like electricity where it's like hey things that conduct electricity also conduct Hamon and not like because like here's one of the like really things that annoyed me when they're fighting Jack the Ripper Mm-hmm. Jonathan is able to punch him through a wall because the, it, he conducts the Hamon through it. But later on, when he's fighting Tarukus and he tries to punch the chain to melt Tarukus, it can't conduct all the way through because it hits the ceiling. But it's like, what's the difference? I <laughs> yeah. think those are both stone. I, I need a spreadsheet of what can and cannot conduct Hamon because it is so complex. Like, metal is the only thing that's, like, agreed upon. Like, is it metal? Okay, Hamon goes through it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and water. Water is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Both things that electricity would would, would be conducted through. But stone, what, what's happening there? It's a coin flip. Yeah, I guess so. If Dio zombies all have some sort of ability that that is related to their, their life and, and even their death, what would your zombie gimmick be if, if you were a thrall of mm. Dio? This is a tough one. Yeah. Oh, this is requiring a, a an amount of introspection I didn't expect to do today. <laughs> oh, I gotta me... get a real answer for this. I mean, I I would probably just be one of those dog chimeras. <laughs> what a, was but a, that? But a lot fluffier and cuter. Oh, taking a real inventory of my life here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna say also if I were uh, a Dio zombie, I would be want, want I would want to be one of the Chimera things, but I would have like bear arms. Hell yeah, I would have bear yeah. arms. That that would be the dream. I I would I I would want to be hair guy. I feel like I I it it's not me. I I would it, I would hope that I would get to be hair guy just because that shit ruled. I think it would be something relating to recommending TV shows to people. 
I think that would kind of, it would be something to spring out of that where like, I would recommend Doom Patrol and tell you to watch it and somehow that would turn into swords. Uh, I, th- I think if, if you I read- think you'd, you'd be covered in like wires and, <laughs> and like uh, cathode ray tubes. I've recommended that you watch Harley Quinn and now I've sucked eight, six hours of your life out of your body. <laughs> Somehow not the most outlandish Jojo powers. <laughs> Canonically, <laughs> like for real. <laughs> no. Yeah, the, the elemental control over HBO Max. Uh. <laughs> Jojo, I control the Hulu password. Ha ha! So something I, I did want to bring up that uh, jumped out at me on this rewatch was uh, my, my, my son, Ario Speedwagon, uh, mm-hmm. almost immediately becomes cult level devoted to Jonathan Joestar because, you know, he dodged his uh, knife hat. And so naturally he was like, well, I'll follow you to your death. As and you by do. dodge, you mean took a, a blade <laughs> to the bone. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. my boy. If you if you hit a guy with your knife hat and then he doesn't die, naturally he's your soulmate and your BFF and you mm-hmm. will sing his praises for the rest of his life. I thought the first time I watched it, I remembered them being like bros. I don't think <laughs> Jonathan ever says Speedwagon's name. I don't- <laughs> you know, yeah, if he does, it's only like once or twice, maybe. You think it's a, a class thing? Like he came from wealth and Speedwagon some sort of ruffian? I, I don't think Jonathan ever acknowledges that Speedwagon is there. I think he just like, he's like, <laughs> he's like Baron Zeppeli, let's have a conversation. And uh, Speedwagon chimes with like, I agree, Jojo. And, and Jonathan's like, okay, cool. That's. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear something, Baron? <laughs> <laughs> I think the only time Jonathan says Speedwagon's name is when he's thinking it to himself when they get on the carriage to go to Win Night Slot. And I think he just says, oh, Speedwagon found out some intel. Yeah. I don't think he ever directly <laughs> calls Speedwagon by his name. He's like, Speedwagon can smell evil. That's cool. He's, I guess, here now, and I'm ambivalent towards that? Oh, he's following me. He's still here. I thought he was going to go home, but does he, does he live in my house now, I guess? That's, I'm not going to confront him about it. Do you think Speedwagon was really jealous of Arena marrying Jonathan? <laughs> Explicitly. <laughs> he's, he's cool with it, but he's like, well, she could, uh, she could give him a life that I never could. So I'm going to gracefully <laughs> bow out. Like, he's like, I, she's, she's really nursing him. I was going to take a shot at it, but she seems like she's doing a really good job. So I'm going to leave. He's, he's cool about it, but he is explicitly like, jealous i'm not good enough for jonathan i'm not fair enough of a maiden to cry at the sight of birds <laughs> yes i mean th- this is set years before uh you could even publish the phrase the love that dare not speak its name so <laughs> yeah it's true we're, we're about four six years away from that uh, uh poem coming out mm-hmm. I, I want Speedwagon to make an impassioned speech to Jojo for them to spend their lives together. Like, I can give you happiness that she never could. I have a knife hat. Does she have any kind of hat, <laughs> let alone one with weapons in it? I think not. I can cry at birds. I'll cry at birds so hard. <laughs> Bring me a bird. I'll cry all over it. Have you seen how hot my abs are? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does she even have abs, Jojo? Can she conduct hormone? I can't, but I'm planning on learning. Is that Speedwagon's <laughs> elemental power? 
really hot abs? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> hot enough that you could just add, add the drop of a hat, just like cook an egg on him. Well, when he becomes zombified, he starts like melting stone into lava, which okay. either can or cannot conduct hormone uh, as needs be. Abs you could use to grate cheese. Oh, man. It, they basically have the relationship of like the big dog and the little dog from Looney Tunes, where like the little one is yeah. just constantly yapping. It's so great. Yeah, I think Zeppeli is really the highlight of the season, though, just because it's like a normal show until he shows up, and then suddenly there's like this drunken kung fu Ronald McDonald in it, and it's an entirely different thing. He makes an impact. He does. Like we we talked about it a little bit between in episode one and two, yeah. Like the fr- you get through the first three episodes of JoJo, and it's kind of like its own little like story and arc. That basically, you know, by the end of episode three, it's you, you can basically put a bow on it, except for like the after credits thing of of Dio still being alive. And yeah, a- episode four is like one of the several times I've said, ah, now JoJo has begun. <laughs> <laughs> it's not JoJo until Zeppeli is here. Zeppeli is how they like introduce the greater weirdness of Jojo through you. And he just kind of like shows and be like, I'm drunk and punching a frog. And this is the general tone that you should get used to all of the normal, like coherent story. Get used to that slowly fading away through the <laughs> remainder of your experience. Yeah. The, the sh- this season kind of establishes the rules that you're going to have to expect going forward. One of, one of which being like, just bizarre animal violence, another just being general, like, characters contorting themselves in weird shapes. And the other one that uh, this made me fall in love with was every single person in the JoJo universe having an incredible amount of blood that is just constantly <laughs> trying oh, to yeah. leave their bodies. And, and the other thing, because I think it's Zeppeli who does it first, getting backstory for characters via them just thinking their backstory to themselves. (laughs) And only the very fucking instant it is relevant to the story. Foreshadowing? No. You're going to get the information right before they're going to die or something. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) That is something, as far as all the way through part five, you still get that. (laughs) As he's walking into a stone chamber full of torches, he immediately gets a flashback to someone being like, hey, you're going to walk into a stone chamber full of torches and then you're going to fucking die. And then he immediately dies after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, cool. Not so much a Chekhov's gun as like a Chekhov's bullet being fired through the air. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I wonder, we, we talked about uh, how, you know, killing your hero was sort of a, a taboo to be broken. And I wonder how much of the, the creative impulse behind uh, Jojo, and I guess for today's discussion, part one in particular, is about intentional boundary breaking. Like, mm. is Poco's sister slapping him and calling him a pussy supposed to be shocking to the reader? Or like the, the amount of gore? Is that, uh, like, this is post-Fist of the North Star, so is this sort of in line with that, or the next step on the path, or even so, this level of of blood and guts and dogs melting uh, (laughs) on the page, like, even off the scale of that, to, to, you know, a reader in mid-80s Japan. Right. I feel like a lot of the violence and stuff was kind of maybe a little more par- for the course or or at least a trend that some people may have wanted to chase because of fist of the north star and other stuff like that you know just dudes exploding 
and all that. Uh, but I would say part two, yes, probably boundary pushing with the violence because that yeah. shit gets fucking weird. <laughs> with, with the violence, I think that's what what's kind of subversive about it is like you watch a show that's violent like Berserk or something and the violence is consistent, like hands are getting cut off blood's like exploding everywhere and jojo's bizarre adventure will be extremely tame for like huge entire episodes and then suddenly a person's eyes will explode out of their head and it's like oh yeah this show can be unbelievably violent there's no consistency to it which makes it way more shocking when it happens you know, like when Dio just randomly pulls out Jonathan's carotid artery from his neck and just starts fiddling with it. <laughs> That's fucking gross. You know, uh, fidget toys are really useful to help maintain focus. <laughs> he, he does like a mobster thing. It's like, nice carotid artery you got here. Would be a shame if someone severed it. And then it's just like, oh, look, it's stretchy. It, that was like, I think... Of everything I've seen in JoJo, surprisingly, the most upsetting is just someone fidgeting with an artery. Yeah, that one's still pretty high up there as far as just like, ooh, just yeah. like gross. <laughs> gross in a way where it's like a type of violence he did, never really even considered. Like, even at this point, it's just like, oh, that guy's eyes exploded. Okay, yeah, I've seen some <laughs> hyper-violent <laughs> 80s anime. So I, I'm maybe not expecting, but I'm not shocked by eyeball violence as much yeah. anymore, but when somebody fiddles with your veins, <laughs> ugh, gross. I, I think it's someone playing with a part of your body while you are completely awake and coherent is yeah. extra, like, squirm-inducing for me. Like Yes, yes. Yeah, it's like the, um, the eating brain scene from Hannibal. Like, that's immediately, like, what it invokes of, like, that, like... Like the, the sort of goosebumps of someone like ripping your body apart as you're awake. Yeah, to watch but that it. was Ray Liotta, and he kind of deserves it because he's Ray Liotta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen other movies. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I think as a country, we're all numb to violence against Ray Liotta. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like other, like particularly subversive elements. I mean, something that strikes struck me about um, Jonathan's death at the end isn't that he died because like there's a lot of like noble sacrifice stories but most of the time it's like i have i accept this and this is a good death and i'm blowing mm -hmm. myself up to save the day and he's just like oh man i really wish i wasn't dying i'm having a terrible time and the villain kind of beat me like i barely eke out a not loss like it's not like a noble sacrifice he just straight up dies horribly and doesn't really get any sort of like a sacrificial win from it, mm -hmm. which felt the most shocking. I mean, his wife and unborn child <laughs> and unrelated child do survive. Yeah. yeah. But it's not really like due to his actions. He's just like, hey, go leave, go save the child and don't die. Like he does not, he doesn't really win the battle. He just kind of like immediately gets shot in the face and then... <laughs> barely takes the bad guy with him which was like sort of the surprising thing even by like today's standards it's it's kind of hard to find a a piece of media where the main character that you have been told is like awesome and perfect dies badly mm -hmm. that that really stuck out to me yeah that's kind of what what stuck out to me too uh the first time i i watched this and it's like basically if 
he was like holding Dio back and, you know, still dying, you know, still shot in the neck mm-hmm. like before. But it was just like, oh, Arena, get out of here. And he's able to like push her onto a life raft or, you know, do something else where it's like he separates himself in Dio from the ship uh, and like saves the remaining people on the ship and his wife. Like that would feel a little more like the standard sacrificial mm-hmm. thing rather than just like, well, everyone but my wife and these two babies are fucking dead. Yeah. <laughs> this ship's fucking exploding, dude. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, this has been a complete quagmire almost immediately. And basically, like, his big, like, the way he saves his wife, unborn child, and another kid is just, he tells his wife to not commit suicide with him. He's like, hey, no, you can't stay with me in a burning ship. You do have to, like, go save a kid. So, uh, <laughs> so no, it's it's not like he, like, blocks her or or something like that. He just tells her that she's not allowed to die. So she's like, all right, I guess. Fine. If you're going to be if you're going to be stubborn about it, I won't accompany. I won't burn to death with you. Thank God Dio had an explosion proof coffin with him. (laughs) Yes, He's always prepared that Dio. (laughs) The crazy thing, he's had that explosion proof coffin for like nine months. He before he even had this plan, he was like, well, you know, I could get the cheaper wooden coffin, but I think I'm going to spring on an explosion proof one just to be safe. What you if never... Jojo explodes my castle? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, it, it could happen. I think one of the signs that that, that the story of Jojo really is sort of a, a snowball going down a hill mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily following a predetermined path is all of the skills that characters have that are never used. Like, I would have <laughs> loved if uh, Jonathan did any archaeology, the star archaeology <laughs> student. Yeah. Like, I, I guess he knows the history of Mary, Queen of Scots. That's, that's something. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if the, that would have really played into him knowing about the pockets of air in the mining town's <laughs> lake. I don't know. Yeah, that would have been cool. Like, there's definitely there's definitely times where, in later parts, JoJo, like, sets something up early, and then it pays off way later. But for every mm-hmm. time it does that, there's another one where it doesn't do that. <laughs> that. <laughs> Right, or or if Speedwagon had underground street hooligan contacts in Midnight's lot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would have been cool. Got to be some other gangsters with knife hats too, right? <laughs> right? Th- they all go to the same supplier. He can't be the first person to think of putting a knife in his hat, but also kind of yeah, he should be. <laughs> <laughs> I I really have to hope that that is that was not a common thing in the JoJo universe because there would be so many people who would try to do that and immediately cut off all their fingers. Speedwagon is the Zeppeli of throwing knife hats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, it was how you established dominance in the uh, 1800s London underground was like, if you were able to master the knife hat, then you demonstrated your skills and expertise and were able to lead a, a mob of London ruffians. Oh, by the way, this, this reminds me, uh, in that final episode where everyone's, you know, bidding farewell to Jonathan and Arena um, on the dock, and there's a whole bunch of people there, like Straitso is there, and, and Poco and his sister, there is another guy there that I did not recognize at all, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and I went back to try to figure it out, and it's one of the other two gangsters that fights Jonathan in episode two. <laughs> 
it's the guy with like the 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 streak of red face paint across his his cheeks and nose it's that dude <laughs> for some reason speedwagon invited that guy Jonathan just has this this aura. Everyone loves the special hero boy. Yeah. Speedwagon definitely said that he had to be there. He was like, if you want to collect this month's paycheck, you are coming to the boat send-off. I am not going to this alone. I need a plus one. Otherwise, I'm going to look like a complete loser. Uh, he was there for, like, emotional support. <laughs> <laughs> when... When I watched, watched this the first time, I definitely, like, it was sort of the slow buildup you need to do to get to the end of the insanity of it. And watching it the second time, I kind of, I appreciated it a lot more because the weirdness of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is extremely refreshing, just, like, slowly peeking its way out of a normal storyline. Like, mm -hmm. just getting these bizarre flashes of a character who uses a sword with his hair... Or them just being like, oh, well, you know, that's where the uh, the knights went to do cage wrestling matches. <laughs> <laughs> you know how the knights did. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know how uh, medieval knights trained to do hell in a cell? Well, that's where they did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, just like these these flashes of insanity that eventually just became like the background radiation of the show. Just being like partially introduced and then immediately being forgotten, which is which was always just like, what the hell was that? I mean, mm -hmm. cool, but did that just did that just happen? I thought I was watching uh, watching like a, a low key 80s Castlevania. Did that guy just chop a zombie's nose off and then it went sniff sniff on his finger? <laughs> <laughs> Why did the show cut to that? Wait, what? <laughs> Why is there a, a human's head on that cat's body, and why is it horny? I, I oh wait, it's dead. I guess we, I don't have to think about that anymore. But that was weird. The episode where they fight Jack the Ripper. Yes, and he basically is just a tutorial boss fight for the yes. fight up ahead. Like whenever I I've rewatched part one, the part that I kind of always like feel like oh I want to skip this part a little bit is the two or three episodes i guess that deal with blueford and tarukas yeah, um, yeah because yeah. in such you know it's such a short quick story yeah you do need to fight some extra guys before you get to dio but they already had jack the ripper and i feel like if <laughs> he's jack the fucking ripper and now he's a zombie that hides in horses i think you could eke out multiple fights with jack the fucking ripper yeah. <laughs> and not even have to introduce tarukas or or blueford he you know you could fight him and beat him once and it's like aha he wasn't beaten he's just that strong and he's like chasing after them while they're going into one night slot or something like he's recurring enemy i think that may have been there's a possibility that could have been uh, a little better than having to like introduce these two new guys hit the brakes real hard to tell you who and what they are <laughs> when you basically have to give nothing when you go hey here's jack the ripper you already know <laughs> You, you have a first uh, failed fight against Dio where uh, Jonathan gets captured. Zeppeli has to die to, to save Jonathan. Mm -hmm. it, it, it all works without uh, uh, the two knights. Yeah. And you get more Dio that way. And yeah. you get more Dio that way. And also, to be honest, I in the single episode you get with Jack the Ripper where he hides in a horse's body and flexes and knives that he stabbed in themselves earlier shoot out of his body... You can't tell me he didn't have more tricks he didn't get to show. 
Yeah. He's got to have some other wacky fucking shit he could do for another extra fight or two, you know? I, I, I really want to have seen the scene where Jack the Ripper had to put all the knives in his body. Like, <laughs> just just load, just like, just load knives in there to be like, I really hope this becomes relevant in the fight. Like, <laughs> Jack the Ripper is an artist, okay? <laughs> knives are his brushes, and the horse is his canvas. Also, I believe when he flexes, the knives come out blade first, so did he stab himself with the handle? <laughs> yes. Or he just, did, did he... He get, inserted them from behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if they had, like, a some type of setup, like, uh where the knives were attached to the wall or a board on the floor or something, he just, like, fell down on them <laughs> to, like, quick load them? Because otherwise, you got to do that one by one, and that takes forever. Like, I like the image of him putting them in handle first and then just, like, tapping them in with a wooden mallet, <laughs> just, like, individually, and, and just being like, oh, I guess I should do one more in the pelvis. I, I have 12 in my arms, but... Y- I don't want to. I don't want to have done all of this and be one knife short. I'm gonna feel like a complete idiot. Now, see if you're inserting uh, knives into your body to be expelled later, which we all have done. <laughs> but if you're doing it handle first, you, you're gonna want to take a power drill and put in some pilot holes. <laughs> to, uh... When I when I moved to the big city, uh, my my parents wanted me to get like pepper spray or something, and I was like, I'm just going to embed a knife in my torso. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna be good. Like those, this is this is home security 101. I mean, it you you just put a steak knife in your rib cage and then you flex really hard, and uh, they won't see what the mugger won't what know what happened. Now the 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 whole knives and body thing was that something Jack Ripper always wanted to do, <laughs> and he could only finally enact it uh, after becoming a zombie, or was it just like Eureka? <laughs> knives in my body all all those women in Whitechapel. he was just trying to teach them proper self-defense <laughs> techniques oh man <laughs> they never, never completed learned. the first lesson it, it's such a tragedy <laughs> he was he was a tragic good samaritan <laughs> imagine jack the ripper transported to today uh he's hiding inside someone's engine block and the carburetor is on the head of the uber driver <laughs> Now, again, was hiding the horse, like, quick thinking or a part of his plan? Does he know he can burrow inside a horse's neck? I mean, everyone can burrow inside a horse's neck. It takes a true expert to keep the horse standing the whole time. He had to have explained all of this to Dio and uh, was like, well, I'm going to hide in a horse and then I'm going to embed a bunch of knives in my torso. And Dio was like, I may have miscalculated with the guy I chose. This may not have been the best dude to use, but I guess he's already a zombie. So we'll roll with what we got. What's fucked up is that oh no, there's a guy inside that horse is something somebody in JoJo thinks more than once. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the ultimate combat strategy to hide within the horse. Yeah, and you jump, you jump out of the horse with your arms and across, so it's a perfect block and attack, and like it's undefeatable. Mm-hmm. Both of these techniques are inspired by the Iliad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, he read the Iliad, and he was like, so, th- so they hit a bunch of guys in the horse, and and you just skimmed over the word wooden. <laughs> How did they fit more than one guy in the horse? I guess people were smaller back then. 
They really clown card into that horse, I guess. <laughs> that horse must have looked like absolute crap by the time they put it through the gates. <laughs> I present to you this engorged bulbous horse as a, as a sign of peace. <laughs> It's just like the scene where uh, the, the dock workers are carrying uh, Dio's casket, where they're just like, did you hear that? There's something in this horse. <laughs> Look, the, the weird Greek dude uh, gave, gave me enough cash to not ask questions. <laughs> uh, they were like, yeah, pretty, pretty bad gift, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for this agonizing horse. I'm not going to look this gift horse in the mouth be- because it scares me. <laughs> also, it has no mouth anymore. Where did the mouth go? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth or in the eyes because they're full of pain. Uh, or anywhere, really. Yeah. Just don't look at it. Just don't look at the gift horse. <laughs> don't. Put it in a corner and put, put it in-, in the town square and we all avert our eyes. <laughs> Don't look look a gift horse in the mouth or you will never sleep ever again. <laughs> the the general zombie logic. I did I did like that no one understood what a vampire was in this uh in this story but everyone got zombies almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. It it was a fantastic detail just how wild they got with the zombies like which is backwards like uh uh, dracula was not the first uh vampire story obviously like vampires were pretty well known in europe but zombies didn't enter popular consciousness until like the 20th century (laughs) yeah zombies are a product of the film industry yeah and even now you're not allowed to say the word zombie like you have, to, <laughs> you have to be like those ta- those walking corpses that want to bite people, but you can just say vampire all over the place, and they're just like, oh yeah, zombie, you know a zombie, like it, like in uh, like in Evil Dead, yeah, one of those. Uh, so what is this weird dude that bites people on the neck and drains their blood? That's crazy. <laughs> we don't have anything like that in this time period. I do like that vampires in the JoJo universe. While they share some similarities with vampires, they also kind of just do their own thing. They got tentacle veins. They got laser eyes. They got ice powers. They drink through fingers. Yeah, they drink <laughs> through fingers. Yeah, the ice powers thing. The, uh, I'm not aware of any other vampires in fiction where they can just pop body parts off of other things and make chimeras out of them. So yeah, I but like that the-, the vampires are different in this world. Basically the monster from the thing by the end. Like, just these weird Cronenberg body horror creatures that, like, occasionally remember that they have to drink blood to survive. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they go off the rails with a concept of vampire almost immediately, and then just casually, eventually remind you, like, oh yeah, by the way, this is a vampire. (laughs) Which I think is, like, kind of, like, a through line of JoJo, where... You introduce this concept and then become bored with it within 15 minutes and then just start doing its own thing. Like, none of the rules are consistent because there is, like, this pervasive ADD to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, and once we get further in into the series, like, you know, there's a new type of power that replaces Hamon at a certain point, and that stuff works a lot better compared to Hamon, I think because at that point he realizes that 
Araki realizes that, like, hey, I keep changing my mind. What if the powers <laughs> rule set was basically that things can change fucking whatever? What what if everybody can just do fucking whatever they want because that's the like the rule, which makes that stuff work a lot better generally. But yeah, there, there's still some cases where it's just like, oh man, he got. You could see the 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 episode like halfway through part five or something where it's just like, oh, he got bored of that. That's gone now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the new mechanic is, what if everyone had a gun that shot wacky premises? <laughs> yeah, pretty what, much. What if, uh, what if you had, what if your, uh, your special anime power was a game show? What if you could, uh, what if you could turn everything into Double Dare? Yeah. Oh, come on. Big punching, yeah. no whammies. <laughs> <laughs> I did miss Hamon, uh, first because Hamon is kind of charming because it is a fun spin on like Dragon Ball Z energy blasts because mm-hmm. it, it is like Dragon Ball Z energy blast but there always has to be like some caveat to how you use it so everyone is kind of ki- trying to make this kind of crappy energy attack work and not suck and it's the overwhelming like challenge like Okay, you have to, like, get a bunch of water together, or you have to have, like, a a channeling device, but otherwise this is basically useless. And it also just has, like, the massive weakness of, like, hey, if you can't breathe, you can't fucking do anything. Yeah. True of most martial arts, to be fair. (laughs) That's that's true. (laughs) But it's, like, such an obvious weakness that everyone's just gonna, like, I'm just gonna choke you, I'm gonna put you underwater, I'm gonna shoot you through the neck, I'm gonna put a choker around your neck, like, you know... Almost every single fight in JoJo after Jack the Ripper is dudes, like, doing something to them so that they can't fucking breathe. Getting wrapped up in hair, you know, sucking out your blood so that you don't have the blood to channel the hormone through, like... And as Wu-Tang warned us, we have to protect your neck. (laughs) 100%. All of their fighting styles, their their hands are doing crazy things, and they should just really be, like, blocking the neck and nothing else. (laughs) Just, yeah, just a high guard boxing stance is the (laughs) ultimate JoJo technique. (laughs) Just invest in a metal turtleneck and you're gonna be fine. You'll be a living god in this universe. It can still be a crop top. It's fine. It it can be a crop top. (laughs) Just wear a metal collar. You can do whatever crazy stuff you want with your pants. But the important thing is that your neck is protected. Every other part of you is extremely expendable. I mean, like, you can straight up live and attack people for about 30 seconds even after your head is cut off your body. Just as a normal man, like, <laughs> so. That, that is a, a great thing that they set up with this, that characters in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure are all the Black Knight from Monty Python, but it's accurate. Because they're all like, oh, both all my arms and legs are cut off and I'm pinned under a car, but I have the upper hand. And yeah. it always makes sense. Like, everybody losing their limbs is totally fine for reasons that they are about to explain to you. (laughs) Like, two episodes ago in this podcast, I compared uh, the way Hamon works to being, like, Silver Age Superman, where it's just like, hey, every episode or every issue is basically like, check out the new Hamon power, super (laughs) knitting. Knits and leaves together into a hang glider, why not? Yeah. Yeah, you are. I am very excited for you to get to the part where Jojo gets the ability to shoot a tiny version of him out of his hand. That's going to be a big mechanic moving forward. 
<laughs> oh man, Grant Morrison's JoJo's would be so good. <laughs> oh man, I would love to see that. Yeah, no, I would. I would actually give anything to see an American version of JoJo. Like there is most cases where America tries to do like a movie version of an anime is mm-hmm. a train wreck. I just want to see them try to do like a crim, uh, Chris Hemsworth JoJo's Bizarre Adventure <laughs> just to see what would possibly happen. Yeah, I don't I really don't know what would what would happen there. The the only JoJo movie that is out there is that Takashi Miike one, which is very accurate. So does he land the plane on that? Because Takashi Miike can make a lot of crazy stuff work. But I like watched the trail and I was like, I am very curious if you made this at all translate into living human beings. I haven't seen it myself yet. I one of my friends who I got way into Jojo seemed to have liked it. So it's it sounds like they did an okay job like translating that to real people. It helps that it's part four where by that point you you don't need absurdly muscle bound men anymore to do the fighting. So yeah the, yeah, the problem with adapting part one for live action is the amount of steroids needed would kill any man. <laughs> <laughs> you would have to do a Kumail Nanjiani, but just so much worse. The show gets much better when they abandon the giant muscles convention and go towards insane fashion decisions. It It is way more conducive of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure energy. It is, uh, but I still really love the, the phase of JoJo that is just insane muscle-bound men because they are so huge. <laughs> like, it is comical to me. Like, I pointed out, but that shot of Jonathan laying in bed wrapped up in bandages that are vacuum sealed to his abs is one of the funniest shots in JoJo because he is just so (laughs) fucking big. Where did they get a bed that he could fit on? (laughs) Uh, It's a king size because that boy, he's a king. (laughs) A a great effect of how overly muscular all the characters are is... Jonathan Joestar is the only Jojo to really wear normal clothing. And as a result, he looks the dumbest out of all of them. Because <laughs> he's like wearing like a sweater vest and a little bow tie. And it's like, you can't wear that. You look like a <laughs> lunatic. Like, they, like every single garment he's wearing looks like it had to be like custom made for him and it's still about to explode off of his body you know he just needed an extra like ounce of hormone in him and that caused his shirt to rip off his body so yeah (laughs) it's incredible that he can lift his arms up without every article of clothing just just bursting like he's the incredible hulk uh but yeah it's it gets it makes way more sense with the increasingly insane fashion choices from the remainder of the show Uh, And in this, he's like dressing like Sherlock Holmes and stuff. If you just jumped into Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and like tried to pitch it, they would send you to like rehab or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's a load bearing. It's a foundational (laughs) part. Yeah, I think if you tried to pitch Jojo anywhere beyond part three, like most people would bounce off it super hard, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you need at least one of those first three parts to set everything else up. So Fist of the North Star is what kicked off sort of the um, absurd giant muscle guy, right? This kind of, like, built off of that, but wasn't the the originator? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fist of the North Star was before JoJo. I've I've started watching Baki, which has Mm. 
absolutely it, it sort of takes the 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 concept of like absurdly muscle dudes but takes it to an almost grotesque body horror uh dimension where like characters are so muscular that it is upsetting like there will be a <laughs> shot of a character and his neck muscles will be so huge that he'll look like a king cobra uh yeah and like this is like relatively tame by those standards like oh yeah this is a this is a these are body dimensions that a human being could feasibly have if they devoted every waking moment of their lives towards achieving them uh so like by modern anime it's like relatively tame yeah but baki since i have watched that uh baki is probably one of the other things i've watched where it definitely seems like it was heavily influenced by jojo because it came out started coming out just a few years after uh because yeah it goes from just ah these guys are just really buff and good at martial arts and then Mm -hmm. goes to more modern baki years later where a man needs to fight the an unthawed caveman who is the (laughs) ultimate fighter and the only way he can fight this man and match his strength is if he believes he pretends so hard that he believes he has extra bones in his body that allow him (laughs) to punch so hard he can break the sound barrier yeah (laughs) he doesn't actually have those bones well no that would be silly (laughs) he doesn't actually have those extra bones but he closes his eye and imagines an x-ray view of himself where he has way more bones like reinforced bones bones on bones he has three spines now and that's better for punching (laughs) baki is sort of like mirror universe jojo's bizarre adventure where it like it has all the out of left field insertity but 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 dark and evil like it, there, there's like a through line of like the main character hates his dad and you never really know why. And then eventually it's like, oh, be- it's because his dad committed Yeti genocide uh, <laughs> and he's never really gotten over that. <laughs> yeah, I would believe that George Joestar funded an expedition <laughs> to, to exterminate the foul beast of, of uh, the Himalayas. No, you, want, you know what? I guess that is one more thing I want to talk about with part one. George Joestar. <laughs> Fucking I... <sighs> What a bad dad, first, first of <laughs> in, in all. In a whole show, that is all bad dads. Yeah. <laughs> like, JoJo is going to be the first good dad, and he's not going to be there for his kid. <laughs> yeah, it's like... And he's the best so far. Yeah. How, how did he rise to the pinnacle of English business by being the most gullible human to ever <laughs> exist? <laughs> like, he's, he's just basically like, Dio, did you do a bad thing? And Dio's like, I don't think so. And he's like, good enough for me. No investigation whatsoever. Now dinner. Like, he's the easiest human being to lie to imaginable. Yeah, and every time when I, whenever I think about or, or go back to part one, I think like, oh man, these are the events that like cause everything in every other part of JoJo to happen. And then it's just like, well, it's not even like the conflict with, with Jonathan and Dio that sets it off. It's fucking George Joestar being too much of a <laughs> schmuck. <laughs> if he just would have went like wait okay I, this is this this dude you know saved me okay yeah i really can't trust him for real none of that shit would have happened yeah it's all fucking george joe star's fault one, one moment's reflection and introspection but no he had to be the perfect gentleman which means ironically because being a massive asshole <laughs> <laughs> yeah the whole thing is predicated on on George Joestar finding a guy trying to rip the fillings out of his mouth and being like, well, he was trying to give me CPR probably. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the animus for the remainder of the show. Yeah. 
at the in the first episode at least uh jonathan is also trying to be that same type of gentleman where it's just like being an asshole <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of <laughs> telling arena uh you know hey i wasn't doing any of that shit for you it's just what i'm supposed to do fuck you i wonder what it was that changed him just slightly so he wasn't as much of an asshole as george was by the end of the show <laughs> what what changed him I think it was the rugby. I think rugby was what really solidified his character arc as a good guy. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it purified his spirit. That's the only thing I can explain because there's pre-Jonathan Jonestar that is uh, kind of a dick. And then he does rugby and now he's a super cool guy that's all about archaeology. So I think maybe that's the catalyst for him becoming the awesome hero. I mean, I would say it's holding his father dying in his arms, <laughs> stabbed in the back by the adopted son that he seemed to prefer to his own noble son. No, no shade on adopted people, but like Dio is clearly evil and <laughs> yeah. loves to talk about how evil he is 100% of the time. <laughs> the point is that you should not, you know, uh, uh, play favorites among your children. And if you are, you should make that one the not favorite. <laughs> yeah. There's like one thing Jonathan does in the second episode that's like different from what George would do. And that is when he finds that note from Dario Brando and he reads it and then he immediately uh, suspects Dio of being up to mischief. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not frog mischief, but a different type. Whereas if George Joestar were were in Jonathan's position there and he read that note, he would suspect nothing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I mean, as we know, he did read that note years earlier. (laughs) Like... A great thing about George Joestar is that in his dying moments, while his son is cradling him, he's like, so don't be mad at Dio. He's, (laughs) it's not his fault. I know he just murdered me. He's been trying to murder me for a very long time. And he just killed like 12 cops. But with my dying- (laughs) Which is pretty rad if you think about it, son. (laughs) Like, like you've never murdered 12 cops. Why can't you be more like Dio? (laughs) And I, Jonathan just be like, "Is that? Do you have anything about loving me or how you're proud? No, just Dio. Just how I shouldn't be mad at Dio. All right, you're gone. I guess that was a, a medium good parting words. I guess that's fine. Maybe Jonathan was secretly relieved that the whole place burned down, so he didn't have to like do hold a funeral or anything for him. <laughs> Got it all out in, in one task. Killed Dio." burnt dad's body we're done we're good yeah you you don't have to clear out uh a dead relative's place if you just burn down the whole place (laughs) yeah george joestar died the way he lived forgiving dio (laughs) (laughs) but so does jonathan (laughs) it's true yeah like he doesn't offer dio forgiveness really but there's an understanding that at their core uh despite all of the the hate and pain they are still brothers (laughs) Yeah. I gotta, I gotta say, no, not okay. <laughs> like, I get you have, like, this familial bond, but also the, literally, moment one, he was trying to either, uh... D- he kicked your dog. You. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> like, what, fo- what brotherly bond? He was either kicking your dog, punching you, poisoning your dad, or killing you, and you're like... <laughs> You're like, well, he had some good qualities. I can't think of them, but, you know. Well, hey, those seven years while we were growing up and he pretended to be nice for fun. Yeah. But even then he was like, I know he's being nice, but I still hate his guts. It's like, (laughs) like, what was the good part of this? 
Family's complicated, man. Family's complicated. <laughs> yeah. If if the Joe Star family were still like you know mostly alive and we're having like Christmas parties or something, Dio would still be allowed to come by even though everyone knows he's the person who set Jonathan's dog on fire. Yes. Everyone would side-eye it, but they would still let him be there. He's he's the drunk uncle that shows up to Thanksgiving and says something vaguely racist and you're not sure and you just kind of have to let it pass. Uh, he's, he's that person in the family. <laughs> You thought Santa Claus brought all those gifts, but it was me, Dio. <laughs> Santa Claus does not exist. Go weep, children. And all the gifts are poisoned. Oh. D- Dio uh, buys a PS5 for the $20 limit uh, uh, secret Santa, just so everybody feels really awkward and, and inconsiderate. Dio, did you poison the eggnog? Oh, you rascal. <laughs> Dio, Dio brings his girlfriend that he's been dating for three weeks and has her pose in all the Christmas photos, even though no one thinks that relationship is going to last. That's the energy he brings. Dio also brings his friend Doobie along. <laughs> oh, God! We didn't Doobie. talk about Doobie! I have his name underlined in my notes! <laughs> Doobie, snakes for face. <laughs> Doobie. Like, weird hat, snake face. Somehow the best character, but I think exclusively because his name is Doobie. (laughs) Doobie is part of a a fun tradition of JoJo where very minor, like, roadblock villains will get introduced who die mere minutes later, but they always get a funny name. Every (laughs) time. I really want a Doobie spinoff where it's like he gets his own thing, but it's not like he's on an adventure to redeem himself. He's just like managing an Airbnb in Vermont. I just want (laughs) like, just give me an excuse really to hear Doobie's name and see his stupid hat. And he's still got the snakes in his face. Oh, 100%. It, It keeps causing wacky misunderstandings. It ain't Doobie without snake face. He was in tri- he was trying to impress the teacher at his uh, student's parent-teacher conference, but then one of the snakes bit him on the face, so it kicks off this whole wacky misunderstanding, and eventually they have to resolve it. Uh, yeah, Doobie spinoff. I'm, I'm begging you with tears in my eyes for it. <laughs> the next thing we have ahead of us is, is moving into part two, a new setting, a new, new uh, uh, time and place, a new Joestar. Uh, and a new bizarre adventure. Uh, uh, so, Dan, I'd like to thank you again for, for coming on and, and talking through uh, part one with us, sharing your, your thoughts and, <laughs> and what uh, uh, made an impression on you over the, the life of, of uh, our dearly departed Jonathan. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I've had JoJo's Bizarre Adventures opinions, uh, opinions just inside me waiting to get out for so long. <laughs> Much like Doobie's snakes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Finally, my the snakes of my JoJo's bizarre opinion, uh, my JoJo's bizarre adventures opinions were allowed to explode out of me. This is such a relief. Uh, your burlap sack will never be the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, and thank you all for coming and and listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, uh, we will be back next time with uh, a regular episode about some uh, perhaps irregular episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I am very excited for part two, I gotta say. Yeah, I you are. I can't wait. From the way people talk about part one, 
being so different in in terms of its uh, cohesion and like rewatchability. I am very very excited to see how uh, uh, part two goes with all of the part one groundwork uh, yeah. behind it. Part two is arguably the most bonkers, so you are in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, part two goes absolutely insane, and then it kind of evens out with uh, three and four. You, yeah, I'm very excited for your experiences with it. So so now that we have a, a full uh, Phantom Blood package, I'd like to encourage everybody once again to to share this show around, uh, leave ratings and reviews. We, we are a brand new little baby show, and so that, that initial push, uh, uh, now is the time when it is uh, the, the most useful and most impactful. And with that, uh, have a good day. Good night, everybody. See you later, everybody. Later. Hey, not so fast. We're not done yet because I kind of forgot to ask Dan to, to give his plugs. So if you want to find out what he thinks, what he's up to, you can follow Dan on Twitter at the Luds. That's T-H-E-L-U-D-D-S. Uh, you can find Breaking Mayberry anywhere you find podcasts. And you can keep up with news about the Jeff pandemic on Twitter as well at Jeff underscore pandemic. Jeff is J-E-F-F underscore pandemic. Now we're done.